Hello, welcome back to another edition of the UK Pick 6 podcast, where once again we're talking all things NFL and talking all things COVID-19 NFL season. The 2020 season is drawing nearer and we're still no nearer to knowing if we're going to really have a season, a full season, any sort of delay and how this is all going to shape out. Myself, Ollie Wilson, Jazz Gillum and Dave Bluck talking all things COVID and NFL as well as, of course, the big blockbuster trade earlier this week. The Seattle Seahawks and the New York Jets exchanging picks and personnel for Jamal Adams moving from New York all the way to the West Coast to join up with Pete Carroll and perhaps restart the Legion of Boom once again. We really got into that actually at the start of the show. Uh, we were talking COVID, particularly with the Miami Marlins down in Florida and the trouble that they've had keeping COVID out of their clubhouse in the uh, early parts of the MLB season. And that took us nicely down into Florida to talk to our guest today, Mr. Cameron Lynch, former Tampa Bay Buccaneer, St. Louis and LA Ram. And of course, now working in broadcasting, including being my co-coms for Super Bowl 53 a couple of years ago, well, 18 months ago now, I suppose. Um, but he came on the show to give us an NFL player's perspective, look at the world after football as well with him and a whole load of other stuff. He's just a great guy uh, and a really good chat with him. So sit back and enjoy the pod. Over the middle, picked up! Blitz coming. Pass is picked off. He's going to go looking again, and it's picked off by Stephon Gilmore down on the right sideline. Into the end zone, and he's picked off. Back the other way. So, why don't you tell me what you think about the Jamal Adams trade? Why don't we let you do your whole point, and then I'm going to give you all my points, and then we'll talk again at the end. And I guess I'll just stay silent. Yeah, okay. Well, only if you want to join in at any point, you feel free. But I just, I think this might be a, it might end up being a, a back and forth, or a back to back to forth. Maybe I don't know. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, yeah, go on, Dave. Kick us off. Well, if we if we have a look at what Seattle have actually done with their first round picks in the last five years or so, they haven't had a lot of success. Yep. And they've done this, Schneider's done this before, certainly in his earlier years, where he traded two out of three years, he traded their first round pick. So it's not unusual for them to do this. And they're probably mindful of the fact that they haven't hit on many players in the first round and they tend to get their best players in the... Second, third, and fourth rounds. Or later, even. So, yeah, so that leans towards their strength. Um, so I think you can see it from that point of view. But in, in terms of what I find most shocking about it is that Jamal Adams is clearly disgruntled with the Jets. So normally in this situation, when a player wants out that badly and they're doing everything they can to get out of that situation, it tends to lower their draft value their trade value so that hasn't happened in this circumstance because i think whatever you think of the this trade they certainly haven't got fleeced um they've got a good haul so i don't i'm very i'm just very surprised given the situation that jamal adams has put himself in that they managed to get this much value so i kind of see it from that point of view that it's a win for the jets that doesn't mean that it can't be a win for Seattle as well. We'll have to wait and see how he performs. But 
on the face of it, I think it's a win for them because they've got rid of a player who wanted to go and they've got a really good value from him. So that's my initial take. I would kind of agree with a fair bit of that in <clears> that <throat> Seattle's picks, look, they're going to be a playoff level team, you'd imagine, because of the caliber they've got with um, Russell Wilson, of course, pulling off magic at quarterback. Uh, you know, Metcalf's coming on fantastically as a, a big threat receiver. If they can sort out the run game, you know, they had a lot of injuries last year with the running game, but if they can get that and Pete Carroll likes to use the run game a lot and wants to get running backs involved and not necessarily ride a whole game out like Green Bay will do on, on Aaron Rodgers, he doesn't want to do that with Russell Wilson. Defensively, they're always relatively solid. Obviously, they had Legion of Boom. It's never quite been the same since then, and that's kind of depleted as it's always going to be in the NFL. But they're a perennial playoff team, pretty much, mm-hmm. under... Under the current management and under that quarterback, they've got enough in their offense to be able to be there. So first round picks aren't that valuable. It's not like you're getting Miami's first round picks, for instance, for the last few years, where it's like, what goodies can we get here? It's like, it's going to be, it's going to be twenty to thirty-two, isn't it? Anything after that, to me, is basically is a is the equivalent of like a high second. Yep. So, yeah. Okay. Fine. If if you think as Seattle, that you're bringing in a, a Studley McStudley player at safety, like Jamal Adams, that you can br- base your complete receiver core around, then you give away those those picks. But at the same time, the Jets then get a lot of picks, and we've seen a lot of te- teams doing a lot of picks to be able to rebuild franchises in that same way. If you pull a load together, I mean, you look at the Cleveland Browns now, we're expecting a lot from them, and they spent a few years pulling together these sorts of levels of picks. Mm-hmm. And moving them about and using them to get what they wanted and needed in the draft, and the Jets need that in the draft. The only thing they need th- loads of stuff, yeah. The only th- and they get a decent safety coming back the other way as well. Yeah, to replace. I think so that's the key. They're losing a they're losing a safety and they're gaining a safety, and he's kind of he's certainly not bottom of the pile um, for the last two good. years. Yeah, exactly. The yeah, yeah. So, next to him is also pretty good. So it's, so that that's another win that's not even really factored in it's it's not a massive loss at the position it's a, it's a loss because Jamal Adams is in theory one of the best safeties in the league I love watching Jazz's reactions to this but at the same time Bradley McDougall is going to come in and going to be able to do a good job at that safety position so it's not like it's going to cripple your defense yep. uh, at the Jets and you're going to get a load of draft picks or you get a load of draft picks that you can then maybe start to use to start rebuilding a franchise that still is desperately in need of a rebuild. They seemingly have the right quarterback in Sam Darnold. Um, but at the same time, you know, you look at the wide receiver threats, it's not really there. Le'Veon Bell's obviously getting itchy feet, particularly in the way that he reacted to the trade and was kind of frustrated about it. For Seattle, it kind of works for them in that sense because they perhaps have somebody they can rebuild that defense around. And Pete Carroll had so much success with a great defense. But I think the Jets have done better than Seattle in this because the Seahawks are just inheriting the same headache that the Jets have just had to deal with with Jamal Adams. They're going to have to pay him primo money. And they're going to have a guy that quite clearly has that that arrogance of some players of I'm going to call my own shots and I want this. And if I'm not happy, I want out. Which, yep. as a GM, as a if you're looking at a Jerry Krause kind of guy, you know Jerry Krause isn't going to tolerate. I'm bringing everything back to Jerry Krause for as long as I can, by the way, because after right, watching okay. the last dance, you know he's a great GM to watch move. <laughs> it's it's not about the players' egos. It's about getting the best value and the best money for those players and getting the right players that can do the right job. That's what he did so well. He got players for minimal amounts of money that were great or could be great. 
and you know, a, a GM isn't going to enjoy having someone like Jamal Adams, who already is great, but is now going to be asking for money, 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 especially when he's seen players in his same draft class getting paid. But mm-hmm. safety isn't as important. So Seattle are going to spend a whole load of money on a safety that isn't the same sort of game-changing position as anywhere else on the field. So I think can the Jets I just, have come out can I just Can I just interrupt when you say, just to argue the contrary there, I think Jamal Adams, one of the things that he really offers is a pass rush as well. He got six sacks last year. Sure. That's one of that the points I'm going to make. kind of outrageous for <laughs> a safety. Six and a half sacks he got, actually. Yeah, that's sure. kind of outrageous. I don't know what the, um, the Jets pass rush oh, was last year, but did he get the most sacks of anyone? Like, it, I can't imagine that they Quite had a 10 sack... It wouldn't uh, surprise me if he was. I'll have a look while we're, we're talking about it. But at the same time, you know, and for Seattle, that's great because, you know, you're looking at the, Jamal Adams and you're thinking, well, it's basically, you know, like another Legion of Boom guys. Okay, it's the Cam Chancellor who's able to come in, come down the line and make those big plays down at the line of scrimmage and also make the big hits kind of in the secondary, either if a running back gets through or if it's a pass over the middle receiver's break or whatever. But I still think that the Jets overall get a better deal and the Seahawks inherit a headache and a lot of money but obviously a great player. There are upsides to this, but I think the Jets come out overall far better. I personally pers- think the Jets completely lost this in every aspect <laughs> possible. And I'll tell you why. First of all, I'm gonna some of the points I'm going to make are going to be, you've already kind of made them, but I'm just going to try and go into a bit more depth them. So let's go on the picks and the value of them. So the Seattle, on average, have picked the 26th pick in the last 10 drafts. The last 10 picks, if they had picked them, with 27, 29, 27, 26, 31, 26, 31, 32, 25, 12, 25, 6, and they had an extra one in the 2010, and they got the 14th pick. If you look at the picks from 26 to 32 in the drafts the last 10 years, I've come up with like 12 players that are good. And some of them are very good, but 12 that are good. So out of 60 picks, one in five turn out to be any good. So if you give away two picks in that range it's only a 40% chance of getting a, a player that will either be good or a game changer. Of, mm-hmm. To give you an idea which players they might be from there, you had Lamar Jackson, Tredavis White, TJ Watt, Byron Jones for the Cowboys, DeAndre Hopkins, Travis Frederick for the Cowboys, Whitney Merciless, Harrison Smith, Mark Ingram, Muhammad Wilkinson, Cam Hayward, and Devin McCourty. And that's the only ones I could find in those 60 picks. I thought, actually, they've had, had a very good career or they've got a lot of potential or they've, in Lamar Jackson's case, already won an MVP. So in that sense, you're not really getting that much value in those bits. So if you were the Jets, granted you've got extra two first-round picks, but they haven't got the same, as you said, Ollie, the same kind of value as a top five. It's not or the same kudos 15, on them, yeah. As you would do. Now, the other thing you've got to look at with the Jets is if you look at their last, I think since 2012, their first-round picks haven't stayed on the team for their second contracts. Not a single one of them has. They've either been traded or they've been released which means their talent evaluation isn't very good. And they were, these players are also not 20 to 30 picks, most of them. They were, not, not obviously not one, but they were kind of th- maybe three and upwards. Anyway, it was in the top 20, most of them. And none of them lasted. I mean, Yeah, if you the look Jets at, have sucked for a while, yeah. They have. But if you look at, say, Leonard Williams is a great example of this. He came in, had a really good first season, then came off the rails, didn't really do a great deal, and then obviously got traded to the Giants. Now, Leonard Williams came in as a pass-rushing phenom from college, if I'm not mistaken. He has only had 17 and a half sacks in the six seasons he's been in the league. Jamal Adams has 12 and a half from safety. So what you're saying with Jamal Adams not being 
or safety being not as important position. If you have a safety that you can move all over the pitch, like you have with the Troy Palomalu, um, you have the ability to have a jack in the box or a joker, which you can have him say, okay, he's now going to be, he's going to line up at D tackle, but he's fast enough that he can cover the deep, the deep middle. Yeah, you're going to put him outside linebacker. He can hit anyone coming down the flat. He can rush the passer from there. He can have a delayed rush. He can cover any tight end in the league. So he's got the speed and athleticism to cover. And he's a very good coverage safety. He's also very physical, and he's also a good pass rusher. So he basically does everything you want on the defensive end. From from the front, as a defensive lineman, he'd be not bad at the end. As a linebacker, he's strong enough and physical enough to play there, and obviously he's quick enough as the athleticism to play at safety. And he was even... second in sacks on the Jets last year. I mean, so there you go. Impressive. Yeah. Who was first? Uh, uh, Jordan Jenkins. I've got to say, I've never heard of him. So, yeah, good. Um, so, I mean, how I many Jets Jamal... games did you sit down and watch? All None, in fairness. <laughs> None, in fairness. Um, so, I think Jamal Adams is a complete game changer at the position he plays as well. So, you can have players who are really good in their position, but they don't have the same impact on a game as a whole. Whereas, I think if you have an offensive coach looking at a defense with him in it, you have to say, okay, what's he doing? So you know what he's doing. You can then figure out what's going around from there. Mm-hmm. You've also got to remember that Bobby Wagner, um, the middle linebacker for the Seahawks, is fantastic and brilliant, but he's starting to age. He's not as athletic as he has always been, but he's still up there, at least top five middle linebackers in the league. But if you have a player that can sort of take over that kind of leadership role and you can mold him into the culture you have in your, your system and your organization and he can learn from someone like a bobby wagner you then have a chance to have your defensive captain for many many years who's also just so happens to be the best player at his position now the reason why i think the jets didn't get as much value from that as they should have done is because i think actually jamal adams being as he is the best player in his position in my opinion is actually worth more than two first round picks and an extra safety what even if you he put is on good. it then yeah i would have wanted probably either another player or another first round pick Three first-round picks seems... Ridiculous. No one's going to pay that. But that's what I think his value is worth. The trouble, again, though, is if you have another another first-round pick, sorry... But hang on, Jess, just just your logic there, it's kind of like, you know, nothing has any value more than people will pay for it. So you can say say your house is worth a million pounds, but if people will only pay £750,000, then your valuation means nothing. Yep. So... But they, the Jets didn't have to get rid of him. They didn't have to get rid of him. So the fact that they got rid of him meant that they wanted to get rid of him at the same time. So I think if you had it as a, let's but say they, it was they a, kind of did. They kind of did have to get rid of him though because of the position that Jamal Adams put them in. Or just should they got rid of the head coach? Because the head coach is more likely you, to be fired than a player is really likely but, to get removed. Having said that, of course they got rid of the player. But the fact that the organization hasn't kept hold of their first round picks or got the most out of their talent. The fact that the Adam Jamalans came out and said the head coach is never going to win anything. He's not any good. And he's lost. No, he didn't say he's lost the locker room, but he might as well have said that. You then got to think that actually yeah. maybe it's an organizational problem rather than a player problem because the players are playing where they want to play and they want to be happy mm-hmm. when they're playing. And if you yep. were a superstar and you found out that your GM or your coach wanted to trade you just before the trade deadline, you'd also be pretty pissed off. Okay, but looking at the things about uh, what was said about the head coach and and the internals of the New York Jets, which we aren't obviously privy to, but going back to what we were talking about with um, with Shane last week about how it's an immediate win now, win now kind of culture, 
And actually, when you let head coaches settle in and start their plan, I mean, the whole Gruden 10-year contract was outrageous, but at the same time, you expect the Raiders are going to let Gruden start to do his thing. And, you know, it may take a long time, but if they see some fruits from those labours in four or five years, no one will knock the 10-year deal that Gruden's been given in the yep. same way that... Um, Oh God! Who was the Super Bowl? But, but he's 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 proven though, isn't he? I mean, Gates he's also won proven, a Super Bowl. No, no, proven no, no, shit. for sure. I mean, but like, um, Dick Vermeil when he went to uh, the Rams, went to St. Louis Rams. They hated him there. The Rams hated him for like three years. Tony Dungy was hated at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and removed. Now they, mm-hmm. the Rams stuck with Dick Vermeil, and they then learnt got players in that learned to appreciate what he was at least trying to do. He adjusted himself a little bit as well. You know, a, co- a coach isn't necessarily going to sit there and be like my way or the highway all the time. They might sit there and then after two years, three years, be like, oh, okay, I need to adjust this to get the best out of my players. There's a teething process at times with a lot of coaches and then they get success and then successful coaches get more success perhaps at other franchises as well, like an Andy Reid, for instance. But Andy Reid wasn't perfect when he went into Philadelphia. Dick Vermeer wasn't perfect when he was at the Rams. Um, So I think maybe at the Jets, you've just got a case of like, okay, Adam Gase isn't working right now, but if you're going to believe in the Gase project, that's fine, but you want players that are going to believe in him rather than having yep. players that are going to get frustrated. And, and Ramsey's a better player than the Jets are, for sure. Adams. Sorry, uh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, it's because I, I was looking at the Jalen Ramsey <laughs> trade because you were talking about the number of picks. And it's like Jalen Ramsey's probably the at that point was the best shutdown corner, how much it was two first rounders and a fourth. And yeah. so to Similar s- value then. But, yeah. I'd rather, but I'd rather have a, a shutdown corner than a safety personally and I think corners are valued higher so it's difficult they are to ask higher. So it's, difficult to draw, it's difficult to ask for three first yeah. rounders if a higher value position and arguably the best player at that position is only getting two firsts and a fourth and actually two firsts and a player of the calibre of Bradley McDougall would probably be better than what the Rams paid for Jalen Ramsey yeah, I, so just, I, think, I still think that the, the Jets didn't get the value they needed for someone who's in some ways a game changing talent in my opinion. But it, I think both can be I think both can be right. I think that they could have got good value for him, but also it it kind of sucks that they traded him. Yeah. So like yeah. you know, they they haven't they haven't got better off the back of this, but obviously if they hit on those first round draft picks, it's just a thing you 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 don't know if it's going to be successful. It's like the um uh you you know, you brought up Gruden. Um uh it's like they're Mine's gone blank. Who did they? Who, their blockbuster trade like two years ago, Khalil Mack. So when they traded for traded Mack, you know we're all kind of killing them because it's their best player, and it's a similar situation in a way. Yeah. Um. um I mean, it's different because Mack didn't wasn't trying to get out of the team, but they made that decision, and it's we're only really going to be able to evaluate that maybe this year or next year whether that was good or not. Mm. Um. For the Raiders, so it is a kind of wait and see. Um, to a point, other- although I, I'm still, I said, 100% behind the Seahawks and what they decided to get a player that's that good, who's never a player like that is never usually available unless they're a free agent and they've had multiple years in their bodies and hits and everything like that. He's never had been injured, to my knowledge, and a player that's as good as he is, as young as he is, and on his rookie contract means he's, he's quite cheap at the minute as well. The other, so, the other thing is... Well, only for another year, though. Yeah, he's not going to be cheap. I've got a point to that soon. as well. But, so um, can I just on. this one is because uh, you were talking about the draft and pick values and all that kind of stuff and it's like yeah 
look if you want to you can go you can run through the drafts and look at like the values and what you get out of picks from round one and picks from round six i don't know any of the stats behind it but the it just the draft is a complete freaking lottery to me i don't buy into all of this well he's gone at pick number five he's going to be great all this kind of stuff like the intangibles are there but whether they develop or not in the nfl you know it's just a crapshoot at the end of the day but having a load of first round picks in your back pocket you can then use them to move up highly in the first round if there is a guy that you really have your eyes set on in somewhere so the jets can use those picks to then move up into a position to be not in the kind of 20s to 30 range but maybe get up into the 15s to 10 kind of range if there is a a wide out a d tackle or somebody at a really valuable position that they perhaps consider more valuable than safety particularly when they've brought in the coverage already for the safety that they've just lost solid coverage for him so the getting first round picks and trading first round picks compared to second round picks especially when you don't know what that value is just yet. For all we know, the Seahawks can end up crashing. I mean, this year, we have no idea what value picks are going to be because we don't know, A, if there's going to be a season and who's going to be lining up for half of these teams the way it's already well, the going Patriots, in the first The week. Patriots might be picking number one by the yeah, fucking look of we'll it. Definitely, or maybe picking 32. And we'll definitely come on to that. some um, high school players or something. I don't know. But it's Seniors. easier to move first-round picks around is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of sense in that. I also, but I mean, I suppose if we look at a macro view, if we kind of zoom out a little bit, you know, you're talking about the success of the Seahawks, um, you know, over the last ten years since John Schneider's been there. They've only missed the playoffs twice. Um, you know, they're an excellent organization. I do. We kind of just have to trust them. The Jets are not a good organization. Seattle is a good organization. Is that a little bit of a trump card? Like we can talk everything around. Yeah. We can talk around the houses, but good, good franchises get these big decisions right. And yeah, yeah. For I don't sure. know if the Jets. <laughs> I don't know if the Jets are gonna be. I mean, you know what I would say. I I'm not gonna defend. I don't really. I don't have any basis to defend Gates. Um, you know, you started down that track, Ollie. I think that's a going to be a lonely. It's a hill brave to die one, on. yeah. <laughs> I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised if Gase has a job this time next year. Yeah, that's the thing, though. The so if you have that as being the case, sorry to interrupt, Dave. But if you have that as the yeah, case, why right, would you get on. rid of your star player? He's the best player on your team. Well, that legitimately, then, the best player on your team. That's the Jets GM and management then that needs to look they at need this to have and a, say we're making yeah. a GM will be gone here by well, backing Gase so they so, need to so that's, let his plan take place and come to some sort of fruition. so I actually think I think it's more a backing of Joe Douglas who I do hear good things about nobody's talking good things about Gase including yeah. his his players but people do say good things about Joe Douglas so it's more of a backing of the GM for me because he's the one who's going to be making those picks yeah. if he survives the next two years <laughs> Um, but Jamal Adams would have been there if. for a lot longer if they kept him. But hey, uh, going but back the to thing the... is, right, Jazz, it's all based on, though, because around the NFL were talking about this, and they were saying, so this is all based, this this um, disgruntledness that has kind of surrounded Jamal Adams. Like, it's all based on them picking up the phone when the Cowboys called and and said, we would like to trade for Jamal Adams. They picked up the phone and they said, we want two first-round picks, at least. And then it didn't go anywhere. That's not the same as them saying we want to get rid of this player. They weren't shopping him. It was all based on one phone call. Wasn't there a rumor so, last year though that both Bell and, and Adams, Adams were being shot? Yeah, 
that at was one point Dillon. during the season. There was well, there was a rumor flying, <laughs> and like rumors are rumors, obviously, but. Wasn't no there an idea of fire? Like, I, well, I, I get gonna... what you're saying, there, Dave. But the issue you have with that is that if it's your if star it, player, yeah. you don't even say we want this. He's not available. Phone down. Simple. That's how you tell a player. That's fair. You aren't leaving. We want you here. You're important to us. If you're not important to us, everyone's got a price. But yeah, I, I think... suspect. I suspect the way that he has handled it, he's going to be a player that is going to be a consistent problem. I disagree, but I might we'll wait be and wrong. see. We, I could be wrong as well. But yeah, going I back mean, to the and and it is just just to your point there. It is you know when you've got Schneider and you've got Pete Carroll, why would you want to go anywhere else? I suppose. I mean, and it, it's I mean, known it, for getting the best out players you know, and being kind of not pally pally, but yeah, quite. You always hear about enthusiasm with Pete Carroll, don't you? It would be surprising if you would have a player that would try and force a similar situation in Seattle. I suppose. Well, Earl Thomas did because it's a much better situation yeah i mean i guess it was from an organizational point of view they'd had the best of him and i think they were aware of it so that does change the dynamic a bit it's not like he was being traded at the height of his powers no true you know but just go back to the draft really quickly if you think of it this way trading a pick first round pick into net for next year's draft doesn't really mean anything because we don't even know what college season we're gonna have we don't know if the teams who are big and should play each other are actually going to play each other or not. So you could have a situation where you've had the number two, say it's number two receiver at Alabama, has now become the number one receiver, expected to be the star of the team this year. It's going to break out. It's going to run. Oh, it's going to sorry, receive however many yards and touchdowns. But he doesn't get a chance to do it either because there's no season, or he doesn't get to do it against the top and most elite of the teams because they can't do into conference things i'm not as au fait with college football i have to admit mm. but then you can have a player that's got a first round pick or even a, a top five pick grade on him going into the season and not find out that actually he's not really very good because he's not up against this level of competition he needs to be up against to prove what he can do like so a Jalen rager for instance uh, in philadelphia coming out of uh, a <laughs> less testing conference yeah great <laughs> so there you go so that's my, that's my thing though so it means that the draft becomes even more of a lottery because you don't even know what these players are going to do in this year how many times have we seen a team have always seen not a team have a player have one really good season and then never be able to back it up again I mean, yeah. we were talking before, Ollie, about Albert Hainsworth. Best example of that ever. You could have one great year last year in college. Think, I'll just have another great year this year and I'll go from a second-round pick to a first-round pick. So yeah. people have really got a first-round grade on you. And you get forgotten. Or you don't get forgotten about. You either become the, the poster boy of that draft, but actually you're going to have a terrible season. I mean, you look at the, um, the thing with Tua. That if he hadn't got injured, would he have still been the first-round... Would he still have been... He'd have been would nailed Joe on Burrow first. Been first round for yeah, Tua first would have been nailed Tua. on first. They've been the talking about him for years. That's Tua. the thing, you see. So if you had that, Tua was the guy know, when he season. came in, what, midway through a college football final, a uh, college championship game you know, yeah. for Alabama. And it was something like, mm. oh, the reserve guy's going in at halftime. Oh, he's won the game. Yeah. Oh, so that's, right. that's the thing, though, isn't it? If you have that situation happen, you say he's a certified superstar, but then if he gets injured like he did, you don't know if the injury's going to happen, and then suddenly you might have had all this investment and capital inside one player, yeah. and it torpedoes your system. Again, Jamarcus Russell's the best example of that for a first-round quarterback, or first-overall pick, having got paid yeah. however many millions he got paid and then never did anything to try and back up what he could do. Um, and you can have players like that who think, actually, I haven't got to do much this season because I either haven't got one or we've got a bunch of nobodies to play. So I'll look like a star, but we'll have to put the effort in. And then when we get to the next level, you won't have the same level of 
preparedness that you would have if you had a proper college season behind you against proper NFL caliber players. Yeah, yeah it'd be interesting to see if it if it does affect. Um, I don't know. See that that's yeah. that, that's my other thing the, on it. The so draft, the draft is a farce. <laughs> like the the. We, so there's a lottery anyway, like we're saying. Days, yeah. It's just a. It it's makes just it a worse. Joke. You don't you don't know what's going to happen, and the college system this year is going to be even crazier because players that do well in the SEC, if they do get a college season going, are going to be prized so highly because of the level of competition in that conference and probably the Pac-12 and maybe the Big Ten. You know, the, those are probably the three biggest conferences that I'm kind of thinking of. Maybe the ACC as well. But anybody in like Boise State and the Mountain West and things like that isn't yeah. just going, just isn't going to have that same value because they'll be playing duffers yeah. and not be tested. And yeah. then, I mean, how are they going to solve? But they don't. But hang on, they, there's going to be a lot of players. Is it even going to be a lot of players declaring for the draft? When do they have to declare by? Because why would you declare this year if you don't have much of a college year? Why you wouldn't can, you just you can wait see, another yeah. year? You can declare after, but if it's your last year in college, and you, you think just, you've got but a you could, but can you like sign on for a little masters or like extend I don't that? Think it works that way somehow. Does it work like that? If I was or a college it, athlete, just have, the last just, thing I'd want you just is have my four years of eligibility, don't you? It's not Bert Kreischer's college career; it's seven years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just you you only have a few. You only have three or four years of eligibility. Don't here's you? here's yeah, an idea though, works, right? because uh, every year that you play. Uh, University of American Football in the UK is only half a year of NCAA eligibility. Counts towards half a year. So if you play six years in University of American Football in the UK, that's three years of NCAA eligibility used up. So if you've got two years under your belt already and you're worried about what's going to happen with COVID, and UK is looking better than the USA anyway in terms of that. <laughs> you come and play two years. You dominate. <laughs> you come dominate and play for in Tarani, England for two baby. years. I'm just saying there's, good a really, there's a good team in Wales, in Aberystwyth, in yeah. West Wales. If you like a bus journey, <laughs> then you're going to love playing for them. Boys. <laughs> Let's go. Oh yeah. So yeah. No, so I mean, I, that, that come, I think that comes into it massively as well in terms of policies or not. I've, if they don't have, if your college uh, sits out, we should do some research on this. But the if your college is sitting out the year, or your conference is sitting out the year, surely they'll extend that eligibility, so you will actually be knows? able to get another year. They won't just take that away. I wouldn't them. be sure on that off the top of my head, but I yeah. I would assume it but would why be. Wouldn't, why wouldn't they? Right. Because they want to keep. Well, their I assume it would be like every anyway from the NFL. So. I assume it would be like um, redshirting because redshirting. I don't think you don't lose eligibility. You if don't. You're you had five years. Yeah. So yeah. So, so I, think I wonder if every, all those players could, could just a... be redshirted. Redshirted. Yeah. And then, then who's going to be in the draft? You're going to have a so lean. <laughs> a lean. Joe Thomas is. Class. Joe Thomas is going to be on the clock at uh, number twenty-eight or something when the Joe Seattle Douglas. Seahawks go to Joe Joe. Joe Douglas, sorry, it's going to be on the clock at pick twenty-eight, and there's going to be no one there. <laughs> but that's there's the only thing, twenty-four prospects. That's why it might be a complete farce anyway. The whole idea between the picks, and just yeah, going yeah. back to the the idea of how bad the draft can be. Again, the better organisations make better picks and get more value out of deeper rounds. So I was looking back at the Seahawks starting defense against the Broncos, obviously the one they won, and only one player on that was a first-round selection. Three were drafted by other teams. One was in the third round, one was the seventh round, one was undrafted. The rest of them were fifth round, fifth round, seventh round, undrafted, fourth round, second round. Yeah, it's, it's look, I don't need to, I'll say it a million times on this podcast, I'm sure. The, the draft is a, 
a complete hyperbole around it. All of the chat, all of the draft analysis, it doesn't mean anything unless you get the best out of the player that you that you end up selecting. Yeah. Agreed. Well, I'm glad we had a good discussion about that. I I, I think it's good. I, the only thing I'd leave it with is, Jazz, I'm surprised that you can accept so many counterpoints to what you're saying and then still kind of come down so hard on the Seahawks side. It seems like... Because I believe in Jamal take. Adams. I believe in the Seahawks been a much better organisation than the Jets, as we both were, as we also just said and agreed. Mm. And if the Jets can't keep hold of their own first round picks because either they're not either not good enough or they become disgruntled and want to leave, it says something about the organisation. So I don't blame that on Jamal Adams for wanting to yeah. leave at all. I think that shows a, an issue with the culture at the actual establishment as opposed to one player. If there's a player, if he gets on with the coach, isn't going to want to leave. Even if teams are losing and the coaches and the players get on, they don't want to leave. So, that's my take. Talking of uh, okay. players leaving, how about a lot of people suddenly deciding to opt out now opt an out. NFL PA uh, NFL agreement has been struck up for the whole plan of dealing with a season of COVID-19. Uh, now everybody <laughs> seems to be thinking, well, maybe there's a few reasons to stay at home. Um, yeah, How many did you say at the moment? One, you the said way. 10, Jazz. A 10. There's 21. Players. Yeah. I was going to say, in terms of people who've opted out, there's more than that. I haven't kept track of it, but there were six Patriots, of which Donta Hightower and Patrick Chung and Marcus Cannon are big losses for them. Um, going on Devin to that, Funches though, is a big yeah, loss for Green Bay. Loss. It's not a loss. That, that, that's a big loss for them. That's a weapon for Aaron Rodgers to use, considering Aaron Rodgers is going to have a real chip on him. his shoulder. I like Devin Funches. He's a big unit. Um, I remember you being quite high on him when we I were like, talking about the um, yeah, yeah. I uh, like Jordan Love going there, and you were like, yeah, yeah. It's got Devin Funches. Uh, yeah, the got Devin Funches, so no problems. Don't worry about <laughs> drafting a, a a wide receiver in the first six rounds. We've got Devin Funches. And the other one, the other one that stands out is uh, Laurent Deverney Tardif the offensive lineman, starting offensive lineman for Patrick Mahomes, who, to his credit, he yeah. is a doctor and he is qualified. He's in Canada at the moment and he's helping to treat people. He's uh, Everybody it's has a, a reason to, to opt right? out. Like all of the yeah. people that are opting out, I understand their reasons completely. So there's no judgment at all on saying, look, I want to protect my family or I want to protect loved ones and all that kind of stuff. But it's a really brave decision. I mean, you're turning down millions and millions of pounds, especially for somebody like Hightower or Chung. I'm guess I don't know what their contracts are like, but they are they are getting paid millions of dollars. Yeah, I think Hightower's eight million play. a year. Yeah, like can you imagine? Like we're normal people. Can you imagine turning down a situation? I'd be like, I put COVID on my tongue and I'll <laughs> swallow it right now, and we'll take that eight million. Like, don't worry. So, about but it. that's the difference between. <clears throat> Us as normal people and NFL superstars that get paid eight million dollars per year. So to them, yeah, that, know, it's all relative. It's relative, isn't it? So if I got, yeah. if I told you, Dave, that you can have your wage or you can have say a tenth of it, but you haven't got to go to work or do anything for it, and you're safe, but you don't need the money because you're financially sound, it makes sense to keep everyone safe rather than go and risking everything for that. But that's why because furlough what, what good was is... so great, because it's yeah, 80% what, what's the point? For, furlough for life. Yeah. All right. 
<laughs> but the, the interesting thing with the opt-outs is if you were somewhere on the roster bubble and you opt out now, you get paid the 150000 or whatever. So you're guaranteed 150 grand. If you don't take the opt-out and you don't get onto the roster, you don't really get very much. So it might incentivize some of the people who are going to opt out as the ones who are either rookies or undrafted. Yeah, they've got more of a chance to make the squad now, now though, Jazz. In, I would, yeah, I would but have it thought, depends which... Depending on how it goes. Yeah, it depends how many more players kind of follow. Obviously, the Patriots losing six is quite big, but there's not many teams that have lost that many. Yeah, I really then, want... This is good news for for our boy, though, isn't it? Yeah, for Brandon. Copeland. Yeah, Brandon's going to... Yes! Especially because Dante <laughs> Hightower is, is kind of the position that I'd imagined he was going to play. That sort of idea of being yeah. all over the yeah. place. So yeah. I think he's going to get some good snaps. Yeah, hopefully. It's exciting. Yeah, and all those preseason games. Oh, damn it. <laughs> damn it. <laughs> so, yeah, but, so I think that opt-out's going to be that way. Um, it'd be interesting to see how many other ones go. The thing with the guard for Kansas City opting out is they then went and signed Kelechi Assembly, who's also pretty good at his job. Mm. So they've already plugged that hole instantly. So well, this is the thing needs- for like players that are that have perhaps been experienced and recently, like last year, been moved off rosters and are looking for work and can't find it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, there's a lot of players that aren't willing to play, and you could be sat, you know, what eight months out of the NFL, but probably still keeping fit just in case, like a lot of yeah. players do. If you haven't officially You'll be calling retired your agent yet, every day, yeah, yeah, like who's dro- oh, I've just seen Donta Hightower's dropped out. I've just seen uh, Dan Vitale's dropped out of New England. There are spaces going. Get me at least talking to somebody that there's a chance yeah. to get a roster spot, even for a week, and then yeah, I'll drop yeah. out and take 150 grand. Like it's all good. <laughs> I mean, there there are going to be people that are going to see this as a real opportunity. Yep, mm-hmm. that's a good thing for some people. Uh, I just think, again, I think that it's, as we're saying with Shane last week, it's a case of if you don't need to play financially, then why wouldn't you just sit out if you don't need the money? Well, as as some guy's going to, I mean, just looking ahead, uh, you know, I don't even know if this whole thing's going to happen, to be honest. When we're seeing like that many players dropping out already and we haven't even started. But um, the the but deadline for them to drop out is Monday coming. I understand, but I'm just saying, like, it, it's not a good sign of no. <laughs> like where no. we are like uh, nothing's stuck we haven't played any football yet and we've already got like players dropping out and stuff so um what is going to be interesting is to see not just how teams kind of respond to it but oh, i've lost my train of thought there You're going to have to put another swipe in, Ollie. No, no, I'm going to leave the dead air until you <laughs> come with your point. Until you Don't remember. <laughs> I'm going to make it very obvious. It. Carry on. I just, I just try and take over that point then, Dave. The issue you have is if you look at how the things are happening, we were saying before about the Miami Marlins, the, t- the number of players in that team that got the coronavirus and now they have to postpone games in the MLB because of it, that's not such an issue for them because they've got so many games to play. If you had that with an NFL team, it's much more of a problem. And you're not going to have, unless you create NFL bubbles, if you want to do that, fine. But you have to have try and have it state bubbles, I reckon. So all the teams go to one facility in that state. So you have Cincinnati and Cleveland and Ohio and Pennsylvania. You have um, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, for example. Just to try and group the teams together to make the bubbles as few bubbles as possible. But also have it so you can have them all move around kind of simultaneously in some ways. Yeah. But again, like I said to you in the, the group earlier, that they're... The Vikings head athletic trainer who's responsible for keeping everyone COVID safe in inverted commas has got the coronavirus himself. Mm. So 
I'm not saying he's not taking it seriously. He probably is, but it just goes to show that the person who's been given the most responsibility to sort these things out is not immune to it. And he's also been given it. He's also caught it that way too, even though he's taken all the precautions he possibly can do, we assume. So it just shows you the danger and the threat is definitely going to be there. And as we said before, all the offensive linemen who are overweight or any players who've got pre-existing medical conditions, as we've heard the ones that survived cancer or really opting out, it doesn't yeah. make sense to risk your life because it's all well and good saying, oh, I'll, say you're JJ Watt and you get paid 22 million a year, whatever it is. What good is that 22 million to you if, one, you either die from the virus or, two, the virus ravages your body and you're no longer able to live you a can't quality play of in life? 2021, yeah. Or forget about playing. Just think about yeah. the rest of your quality of life. Yeah. As Shane yeah, was saying last week, real. in terms of he hasn't had. <laughs> yeah, but it's got real that's, dark. That's, like. that's the thing, though, isn't it? You have to think yeah. about the well, long term. We, we don't know the long term effects of it yeah. either because it's only been around for, you know, six so, months. So often, basically. I mean, some of the people who were on so, ventilators for, I think, three, four, five weeks and were put into a coma for it have come out with horrific PTSD from it because they were sedated, not completely asleep. So some of the memories are there, some of the things happen, and you can remember it, and it becomes a flashback. So if you imagine being stuck in a room where you're strapped to a bed and kept pretty still, it's effectively like being in prison. So the people, when they came around from that, were waking up in the night and was accusing the nursing staff of trying to kill them. And again, because they weren't allowed a family member there to see them, it became a case of that became even more of a traumatic experience for them. So if you were a player and that happens, what good is money to you then? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, without going super dark on it, of course. Yeah, that was that I, was I know. dark. I mean, it got, it's, really, got... it's really interesting. I mean, that's that's the world that we live in. There's a lot of dark places that we can visit. But just, I, I think mean, what... it's something that's worth bringing up. It's in terms of yeah. long term. What I was what I was going to say when I before I lost my train of thought and had a complete mind blank was that on the on the point of players coming in and it being an opportunity, and Jazz, you saying, okay, well, if it's not about the money because you're financially secure, then why would you play? Are we going to see a situation, if the season goes ahead and some of these players on the fringe get their opportunities, that we see guys losing their jobs jobs because they didn't play and these other guys did and they actually come in and do really, really well and prove themselves? Um, Is it going to affect their, you know, especially if they're in a contract year, yeah, is it going to affect them going forwards? There's so many. There's so many little moving. Pa- there's so many moving parts to this, yeah. and and there's so many knock-on effects that it's it's going to affect the league for years to come, isn't it? Can we can we pause there because Cam is uh, just. Oh, is he ready? One. Yeah. So let's stop this, and you guys can stop your audio, okay. and we'll carry it on uh, with Cam. But let's carry on this conversation because he's in Florida, so this will be interesting. <laughs> Cam Lynch joining us here on the UK Pick 6 podcast. Well, maybe soon to be rebranded once we get a few things sorted out, but we'll come on to that at a later date, I'm sure. Uh, Cam Lynch, former Tampa Bay Buccaneer and former Ram in the NFL, a special teams genius, and of course played linebacker as well as a professional, former Syracuse alumni, as I can see by the top that you're wearing as well there, mate. So uh, if it came down to all three of them, is it Syracuse, is it Tampa, or is it St. Louis or LA where uh, where the heart is? Man, uh, since I'm living in Tampa, there's no state tax here now. I'm going to have to say Tampa Bay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Tom Brady's here, so I'm <laughs> close to some very good beaches as well, of course. Yeah, some of the best. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm picking Tampa at the moment. 
You never, are you ever going to go back to California or is this where you're going to be based now? Yeah. In time, my partnership, we're both from California. Uh, my family, my family's out there. So I'll be get back out there, but enjoy this no state tax uh, life for a little while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> well, that's what Joe Rogan's done with his Spotify money. He's looking to go down to Texas. I don't know if you read that. No, they, I didn't see that, but that's well, a smart move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The taxes situation is a lot better down there than in save California. Billion dollars instantly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not bad. a joke, is it? No. Um, Cam, we were just chatting about everything that's been obviously going on with uh, with COVID nineteen and in the league at the moment, with players opting in and out, and it's uh, it's a really difficult situation for a lot of players and a lot of people dealing with it. Um, and obviously outside the NFL, of course, uh, particularly where you are in Florida. But I was just wondering, from um, like I know I know you retired recently, but is there a little bit of you? Because we mentioned this just a few minutes ago. That's like well. If somebody needs somebody, like I'm still fighting fit shape. If if there's a lot of dropouts or anything like that, you, is there a part of you in the back of your head that's like I'm I could be good to go and and play a bit? You can do a job. Yeah, nah. For me, it's my training. My training has changed. My mindset has changed. Uh, I've been working on rebranding, kind of just my whole approach to everything. Um, you know, for me, my, my aunt told me that she said, Hey, you're going to be great at whatever else you do as soon as you decide to really do it. Right. And yeah. it's tough to have one foot in the door and really jump into something else. So, um, you know, taking a deep dive into this media thing, uh, while incorporating sport, but man, I haven't been, tra- I've have, I've been doing 30 minute zoom workouts, man, uh, <laughs> four times a week, you know what I mean? Sometimes three times a week. So that's nowhere near the trend I would need to step on the football. Field. Yeah. Yeah. That is bad news for me because I was kind of hoping that there might be a phone call. Maybe if they really needed people or anything, you know, I've been putting in like 20 to 30 minutes of (laughs) minimal exercise during COVID. Kind of hoping that those dreams of being a pro athlete still maybe I might get the call, man. I mean, Dave's been getting swole during lockdown, so he's definitely got a chance at this point. Like he's gone full heavy metal on that. that's right and between us we've got uh you know like seven years of uh college football experience in the uk which i'm sure is about the same standard as uh playing at syracuse so maybe little league (laughs) yeah maybe you played in a dome and sometimes we'd use a traffic cone on our heads which is a bit like a dome so you know i mean (laughs) that's all good But, David, where'd you play at, David? I played with Ollie in uh, in Aberystwyth in Wales. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah. wait, Ollie, I didn't, wait. So we we had a chance to call the Super Bowl, Ollie. Yeah. I didn't realize that you played in college as well. I uh, yeah, I don't like to brag about it because there's not it's much to brag about. <laughs> to be honest, he was a quarterback. And then a middle linebacker, which is and, a very strange transition, isn't it, Ollie? Yeah, yeah, I played. Uh, QB, then middle linebacker for the final half year because I realized once I got the starting job, I wasn't ready to be a quarterback. <laughs> wow. I didn't know, Ali, I did not know that. I mean, you kept, we, we spoke about Tom Brady and the Ram, you know, Patriots versus the Rams, but I didn't <laughs> hear any talk about you tackling people and throwing bombs. I, I, I'm, I'm thankful to finally understand this. <laughs> hey, yeah, my, we, my... Call him, we call him three concussion Ollie in, uh, <laughs> in football circles. <laughs> he got two concussions in one game 
if I really? remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah, it was really bad actually. <laughs> but, yeah, I got I got uh, I got blindsided. I got game. I got blindsided on a punt. Um, because I was also the oh, long no. I was also the long snapper as well while I was quarterback, which shows you how the kind of level of uh, <laughs> you know I'm a look I'll play both ways I'll play special teams I'm a I'll, I'll play all three phases utility of the game. man <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is what you want from a quarterback I I believe so <laughs> but um yeah, yeah no. Yo, so you're the, you're the uh, you're the European Taysom Hill, huh? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> football player. Oh my god, yeah. right. I'm cutting that off. I'm definitely cutting yeah, that off definitely. and having that. I keep that one. That's good. <laughs> um, yeah, so I got blindsided on a punt, and then um, then I went back into the game after getting told I had a concussion in the ambulance, and I was like, no, no, I'm good, I'm good. And uh, uh, you didn't. and my coach told me the play, and I went down and said the play because i could remember what to say but then i was at the line of scrimmage and was like i don't know what that really means <laughs> like that's okay oh um and i couldn't go out until we'd finished the drive or whatever so uh yeah I, I stayed on and then i got blindsided again on the on the punt at the end of that very brief drive and yeah it was not <laughs> you know you live you learn i think and thankfully i just about lived or with two that. concussions you never learn again ne- needless <laughs> to say we lost that game quite heavily as well <laughs> Oh, so, yeah, there we go. Uh, Cam, I can't well, have had okay, more. Bless you, bless you, Ali. Uh, we're all retired now, so it's all good. I can't have had more hits to the head than you, man. You like playing playing linebacker, particularly learning the trade. Like you must have inadvertently, with like you know, the head accidentally dips a bit too much, and you go down with bad technique or something. I'd never say that you had bad technique, of course. Um, but like you must have taken a few blows that you kind of got up, and the ears are ringing a little bit. Yeah, especially like sometimes a lot of them on special teams, you know, those kneecap hits where you're coming in, somebody's pushing you in the back, but you're coming in and still hitting. I remember a play playing with the Rams and, you know, uh, Patrick Peterson was back there returning punts. So we're like, oh, snap, we got Pat P back here. And so, uh, you know, we come in on him. I'm coming in from the left side. And uh, one of my guys pushing me in the back. And so another player of mine, uh, we come in and we kind of vice him. So he goes high, I go low, but my head hits him right on his kneecap. Oh. My buddy hits him up top and we flip, you know, ended up flipping him. But man, I just remember getting up like, whoa, what was that? You know? <laughs> wow, man. Yeah, that's not. But you Brutal. did get the sick high-low in on him, which is kind of cool as well, which anybody who's watching an American football movie, like when there's a big hit, it's always somebody going low and somebody going high, and it looks great. So at least you came off and could see the highlight of that and be like, yeah, that looked all right. So it's all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. look cool, but it feel cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, game film lasts forever, doesn't it? That's the most important thing. No, not at all. Um, in terms of what you're like... You're down in Florida at the moment, and Florida's a big situation. We spoke uh, uh, last week, just kind of catching up about how Florida's a bit kind of wild with COVID right now, and and the baseball season is definitely highlighting that with the Marlins. Do you think Roger Goodell and the NFL are looking at the MLB right now, and are there ways that they can learn from what the MLB is doing, or are we learning that this is just something that unless you can bubble like the NBA is doing in Orlando, it's sport isn't really foreseeable yeah that's that's a great question a lot of what the marlins do is going to be kind of contingent off of what football is going to do not only the nfl but these college teams right so 
uh, it, it's going to be an important case study. A lot of people are opting out now because uh, people are getting sick. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. I just asked my mom the other day, hey, I want to come down celebrate my birthday next week down in Atlanta. She's like, ah, 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 you're in Tampa, Florida. Like, you know, coming down here, that that's not a good idea. So being serious about it, but also, you know, figuring out kind of how to get the sport going because we're all, we all want sport. Um, I'm seeing through the NBA, the bubble, they're calling the sports games, you know, from home, kind of like how we're doing now. So hopefully broadcasters can get a chance to, you know, hop on the pitch and get some things done. But you know, and what about soccer too? Like that's my thing. How has soccer been doing these things? Because I'm sure it's probably you can get run into it as well there. So I would hope that the football football would um, jump into the real football, right? As in soccer, and kind of see what they're doing there. I mean, I guess with um with soccer, I appreciate you calling it real football. By the way, that was that was excellent. Um, <laughs> I guess with football, because uh, here in the UK, and particularly with the Premier League, you know, you still got a relatively small concentration of of players per team and you're not traveling as great a distances you know if you're traveling from london to newcastle to play a game it's not the same as traveling from new york to san francisco or anything like that you know we yeah it's one i guess one of the beneficial things about being in a smaller country right now is that if we have outbreaks in areas those areas are so small whereas the outbreaks in the u.s seem to be so large i mean the rigorous implications in terms of safety and 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 cleaning of, of the balls of the of anything basically that any pro athlete touches in the premier league right now is is kind of it almost feels like it's for show to an extent because you see substitutes are spaced out on the substitutes bench and they're three seats apart and there's loads of gap between them and then a goal goes in and all the substitutes along with all the players on the pitch start like hugging and celebrating and high-fiving and so what was the point in being sat three seats apart if you're just going to hug your best mate when you score anyway and then you go down the tunnel and you can see them all in the tunnel doing the same thing but at least they are I think I think it's just more manageable than an NFL team and and probably even more manageable than a baseball team because of the the distances in travel um, and the scale of the teams as well. I mean, we just spoke last week about how many people are on an NFL roster. And then you've got the equipment managers, the trainers, the yeah. coaches, the support team. There's yeah, yeah. a number of people you've got to move just to play one game becomes such a, almost like a military operation if you want to try and make it COVID safe. So I just, I can't see how they do it without trying to make a bubble much like the NBA have done. But I don't know how they're going to do that with that many people. And with no time as well. We're getting so close to it. Yeah. So close. Yeah. yeah. I'm just desperate to see some months. football. Yeah. I think we have like a month or so until we start we start playing. So Jazz, like you said, if they, they have this time until when the season kicks off to really figure out what, what makes sense. So like, I think you said it too, the military concept yeah. is, you know, a lot of military installations, you know, you got to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to make maintain that facility. So Shoot, if they go to a, a, a worn-down military base, you know what I mean, and have everybody bunk in, uh, you know, players and equipment staff and do it like a, like a bubble, uh, that would make the most sense. I know Tyler Perry created his studio off an a old military base out in Georgia, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. So whether they hey say, hey, Tyler Perry, can we uh, borrow <laughs> the field and borrow the space? Uh, yeah. I don't know whether, we'll see. We're looking, Tyler, to make an NFL movie where you play every single player, but also we'd also like to train here if possible at the same time. So if we can put a pitch on your military base, that'd work great. Thanks very much. Yeah, yeah <laughs> there you go. We've just solved the problem. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> no more issue. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, Cam, I was going to uh, I was going to ask you about you know assuming there is a football season, um, do you want to talk some Tampa Bay? What are your opinions on uh, on the season if we get it underway? Are you excited about watching them come out? Yeah, I'm excited. I saw Mike Evans talking mess to um, the receiver from, from the Chargers. Oh, uh, yeah. I can't think Keenan Allen. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh-huh. They, they remind me of each other a little bit. But, uh, I got excited when I saw that because, you know, they were reporting to camp on Monday and Mike Evans hit the, the, they hit the stream like, man, you ain't on my level, dog. So I was like, <laughs> and, and the way he responded, the way he responded, I know they they have to be cool. They have to be bold, either boys or they used to have talk before at an all-star game or something. But I do think it's healthy competition. Uh, I'm excited for what the Bucks are going to do, man. I mean, you got Brady there. People are freaking out like, oh, we cited Brady. You know, there's social media uh, handles showing the, the uh, satellite view where Brady is to him walking in. So, um, you know, whatever whatever Brady has to bring to the table, I'm excited for. Yeah. And Gronk as well, right? Man, I mean, just the receiving core in general. Guys are going to catch that football. Uh, I yeah, think yeah. people are going to be in trouble. I mean, you got Gronk, you got O.J. Howard, Cam uh, Brady. All those guys are 6'4 plus. Then you yeah. got the receivers, as in uh, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. And then um, then you got on the defensive side, I mean, it, all the guys that mostly, mostly are coming back. So it's, hey, they're going to cause some problems for people. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm an, uh, I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan, Cam. So I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I've been upset the last few years watching the Saints flying high. And now we've got Brady down in Tampa. We've got Gronk down in Tampa. I'm not the biggest fan of those guys either as a Falcons fan, for obvious reasons. So, uh, yeah, I'm a bit intimidated watching <laughs> watching this all come together, to be honest. Uh, you got Todd Gurley, though. You know what I mean? You got Todd Gurley there, so I'm pretty excited for him. You know, he's in my yeah. class, so I'm excited his knees to see okay. Todd Gurley go. Yeah, that's the only thing. I know Ali and I were calling the game, and I was letting him know. It's like, man, um, you know, Todd's injury, I think, is really playing an effect in kind of his growth and whatnot. So hopefully he has the time to make it heal and put on for the city of Atlanta. And I know, Ali, you're an Eagles fan, so Deshaun Jackson is there. Carson Wentz checked in. So we'll kind of see how that goes, too. Uh, yeah, Carson Wentz, the man that wasn't featured despite throwing for over 4,000 yards last year without almost any starting receivers. Not in the top 100 players in the NFL Was this year. Was he not year. in there? Not in the top 100. I think that's pretty And they put fair. Brady at 14 after the Un- worst... Year Unbelievable! Of his that is what? slander to Carson Wentz, the guy that did <laughs> so much nuts. with nothing. I cannot believe it. How much, actually, yeah? How much is that looked at? Because we're Cam, we're hearing about Madam ratings all freaking off season at the moment. Like the last month or two seems to just be Madam rating all over social media. And I love Madden, but I don't care <laughs> about players' Madden ratings at all. Like if they're good in the game, great. But I'd rather see them do well on the field. Do, do players care this much about things like these rankings on NFL 100, on the Madden rating? Because that's what started the Keenan Allen beef with with Mike Evans, which I don't think is as you know nice as you were saying, like maybe they've spoken or not. But it seemed to get pretty charged quite quickly, especially when he called out the wrong Chris Godwin. He put Chris Goodwin and just some random guy got attached to this tweet that got <laughs> tweeted thousands of times. Do, I didn't see that. Do, do players actually care about this sort of stuff inside locker rooms? Is there any chat at all? Um, yeah, I, I think so, because the reason why it, it affects players' pockets 
right? I think somebody uh-huh. said this for the Lakers. Travell McGee said this about um, you know different broadcasters speaking down upon them during broadcasts, right? I think you're talking to Shaq and Charles Barkley. It's like, don't slander me on this number one network because that's going to affect any opportunity for me in the future, right? From him going from the Warriors to the Lakers, like that affects the dollar amount, right? When you mm-hmm. do the Madden ratings and top 100 ratings, like those numbers and these ideas are going to go in the subconscious of the people who make decisions, right? For, for athletes moving forward. So if you see Levante David at 100, when he dang sure shouldn't be there, right? And, and these, these votes are from athletes. Like I voted for the top 100 players, you know, and that's through social media. I'm like, oh, they're, you know, they're popping on social. I see their highlight. Let me vote for them. You know what I mean? And uh, a lot of times guys suffer because they don't have social media like Levante David. So he's really the top one, you know, top three linebackers in the league, but he doesn't get love like that. So, you know, for his next contract, that can affect that. So I do think it's important that, that the people who do the Madden ratings get those right. And the people who, who vote for the players, make sure you take the time to do that. Because like you said, people are looking at it. That's all people are talking about now. And that can affect the dollars in the pockets of the players. I did I not think you've hit the nail on the head there, Cam, yeah, really. Because if you haven't got the highlights to really show up every single week and show, oh, look at the circus catch I just made, or look at this massive tackle I just made, but you just get a, about your business and do what you're supposed to do week in, week out, you're not going to have the same flash play or splash plays you're going to have. So you're going to have less people being aware of you, but sometimes that's the best thing. So if the offensive linemen, we've said before, you don't want to hear their name. If you hear their name, something's gone wrong usually. The best ones are the ones that are just there blocking and then no one ever gets past them. But you never hear it being spoken about. So, yeah, it's actually a very fair point in terms of social media and things like that. I've never yeah. thought of that. Yeah. I just can't believe that somebody would look at like somebody's madam rating. Like, yeah. uh, like a GM. I, I understand maybe sponsors. Like, you know, if you, if you see Odell Beckham making, you know, circus catches every single week and then you see Keenan Allen making routine catch down the sideline because Philip Rivers can throw a ball and Eli Manning can't. <laughs> and I think that's a fair comparison because they were in the same draft class. So we're not even talking about age and stuff like that this, and the experience. But, um, <laughs> but if, if that's the case, yeah, sponsors will probably look at the flashy play and be like, yeah, oh man, that was amazing. But a GM surely would be more understanding when it came to things like contract terms and, and discussing about extensions and salaries, etc. to not allow that to interfere. And if the players stayed silent and weren't on social media as much, then it wouldn't be as discussed about in the 24-hour news cycle. It's almost like the it creates its own problem. Shooting if you yourself will. in the yeah. foot, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like you said, hopefully the GMs aren't influenced by it, but you just never know, right? Some of the GMs' kids might be like, oh, I want to go with Mike Evans because he's number 14 on the list. And the GM's like, okay, you like Mike Evans. Okay, okay, right? And subconsciously, I do think those things get in. So like you said, the sponsorship dollars, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say a sponsor like who's like, man, Todd Gurley is top five. I want Todd Gurley. Let me give him $100,000. So then the sponsorship dollars in effect the NFL. The NFL and the media rights are very are directly correlated. The more money that the sponsors can, can pour in, the more money these NFL owners can get. And so if Todd Gurley's bringing in, you know, 80% of the uh, the revenue through television, the owner's going to, hey, Todd, you're making me money? Come on, let me bump you up. So a lot of those things tie in. So yeah. marketing, advertising, these dollars are very important. Jersey sales as well, maybe. 
Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I bet there's. Uh, I mean, even after Goldman had such a good year last year, uh, I guarantee there's still more Mike Evans jerseys in the Tampa Bay store than there are Chris Godwin right now. And if if Godwin can usurp him, then suddenly there's more kids walking around with Godwin jerseys, and then it looks better on all the the videos outside and also Yeah, guys, it's horribly tied into it. I don't like it. I like the stuff on the field. I don't like all this extra stuff flying about the place. It's not right, man. Um, it's, it's important. It's important. It's marketing, essentially. So you got to make sure that the people who are do, like I said, doing these Madden ratings, uh, you are working uh, directly with the NFL. So you have the responsibility. It's like making a tackle or missing a tackle or making a catch or not. You got to get these things right, because if not, you're, you're not doing your job. So, um, you know, everybody has to be accountable when it comes to to sport and what we put out there. You know what I mean? So, and it comes from the people doing the games to the referees, you know what I mean? We mm. want everybody to be on point. True, true. And uh, you've now obviously, you've gone into the broadcasting world. We, we as you mentioned, called the, called the Super Bowl uh, between the Rams and the Patriots, uh, what, 18 months ago now. And yeah, it was pretty, that was a pretty fun time. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Um, but in terms of going into that broadcasting world, cause you mentioned that, you know, you don't slag off players on a broadcast is is not really socially acceptable almost from an ex-player point of view. How di- how difficult is that when you see, like you see a player making a, a mistake that's like a routine catch or something. Is there a part of you that, that does want to kind of be that shock analyst at any point of like, yeah, he made a, he made a duff catch and he's got really bad hands and all this kind of thing and get on the guy's back rather than being the guy that is like, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Let's stay calm. Let's stay level-headed. He's still that good guy. I mean, you know, watching Nelson Aguilar, for instance, you could call him out on it all day long, but at the same time, as an ex-pro, you don't want to be the person that's selling, you know, a fellow pro down the river. Yeah, I think it's important. Um, you know, people say, you know, the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words will never hurt me. A lot of times, especially in this age, they can hurt you. They can hurt you. So for me, um, it... I want to say it's tough. It would be tough. It was like, you know, calling the Super Bowl, the Patriots versus the Rams. It was tough that game. Number one, it was my first broadcast, color commentary ever, right? Wow. Number two was against my former team. So, like, these are guys that I, you know, went in with on my my rookie class. So, that was super tough. But I do think, you know, as an athlete, we kind of practice that constructive criticism, right? Like, in the uh, in the meeting room, we're like, hey, you know, that was a good, a good move right there, but you could have used your inside arm a little bit better there. And I do think if you constructively criticize uh, the the action rather than the player, I think that's when that's when you'll you'll be just fine. Um, you don't attack the person; you attack the technique. And I think if you do that, um, that'll uh, allow guys to continue putting them pockets, right? Because like I said before, sometimes these color commentators get in the studio and attack the athlete rather than the technique or the issue at hand. So you played in the NFC South and the NFC West, though. If you see, you know, a Niners player or, sorry, Dave, but a Falcons player making that mistake, is there not a little bit of you that's like, yeah, let's get at him. Let's get at him. (laughs) (laughs) Old rivalries and grudges, huh? Yeah. Yeah, You know, there's a little bit of that for sure. um, That that seeps in, you know what I mean? But uh, to be honest, though, a lot of times you see old teammates on those other teams, you know what I mean? So Mm. a lot of times you grow that affinity with that team. Um, So it's it's tough. Sometimes your your biases do seep in. But 
I do think if you continue to attack the technique, and that's what our coaches told us, like, hey, I'm not attacking you as a player. I'm attacking your technique, and uh, that, that'll get you out of any type of trouble. Fair. I'm not sure that's how Greg Williams fun- functions, to be honest, or, or, <laughs> or coaches like that. But, um, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I bet there are a lot of coaches that are a bit more magnanimous like that. <laughs> yeah, Greg, Greg Williams, he, he's a different uh, he's He's a genius, a mad scientist. Sometimes if you don't have thick skin, um, yeah. it, he will get under it. So yeah, uh, yeah, he, he he's a different cat, but he he's the first person that really gave me a chance, and he saw something in me. So uh, you know, I treated him with respect, and he did the same to me. Uh, he would attack my technique, um, and. Um, yeah, it, it was an experience. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So you know how Greg Williams is thinking right now. Now he's just seen his star defender traded away from the New York Jets. What are you? Are you wanting to be the first person knocking on his door, being like, "Hey, hey, hey, coach! Like, how's it going?" <laughs> no, to be honest, he's gonna be the one knocking on other people's doors. You, you're gonna hear him cussing, and you're gonna hear him beating down doors. Like, what the heck is going on? You know what I mean? So. Uh, like you said, you don't want to be the first person to be around him when that happened. But what I do think is you never know what's going on inside the locker room, inside those buildings. You know what I mean? You never know what their relationship is like. Um, they brought in Bradley McDougal, who I play with at, at the Buccaneers, and he started for Seattle uh, for Pete Carroll. So Brad, Bradley McDougal is it, it, this, I would say, is the same exact player, but Bradley McDougal. Uh, he is a baller, you know what I mean. So uh, in the pass game, he, he'll be he'll do great. Um, in the run game, I do think uh, Adams it, he might be more like a linebacker type, you know, just seeing him blitz and do different things. But McDougal is doing it has done a great job so far from what I've seen. So with that, Cam, which what do you think in terms of who won the trade? Do you think they both won? Do you think that the Seahawks won? Do you think that the Jets won? Do you think it was completely lopsided? What was your what was your take on it? Man, the Seahawks. Mm, the C- I, I do think the Seahawks, uh, you know, just the way that they position themselves throughout the, you know, the course of the NFL. Uh, you know, ever since Marshawn Lynch moving on four, they've made, you know, money moves. So, you know, hopefully this is a move that can really get them over back over the top with Russell Wilson uh, and Pete Carroll. So, uh, you know, they're just strengthening up their defense. And I did see something Bradley McDougal tweeted about J.D. Montani wanting to go to the Jets. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, there's a lot of back and forth. You never know what's going on inside. But I'm going to have to go with the, with the Seahawks. I mean, they've always had the upper hand ever since I've been playing, you know, throughout sport. So I'm going to go with the Seahawks. Yeah, I'm with you on that as well. Damn it. <laughs> you just made it you've just made it 50-50 when it was 2 to 1 I think. <laughs> yeah. See Oli and Dave both think that the Seahawks overpaid for Jamal Adams. I'm 100% thinking that they underpaid for him. I think that Seahawks got a uh, an absolute superstar if I'm honest. I did also say that you know they've only missed the playoffs twice in 10 years that John Snyder's been at the Seahawks. So good organizations seem to get these moves right. I think that's kind of what you're saying. So I, I do get it, but I don't know. Jazz was talking about three first rounders uh, for a safety. I so I was like, no way. <laughs> but. Yeah, but a lot of times too, is like the first, you know, the first rounders, a lot of times they need time to help develop the program, right? To really sink in and change things. And unless it's like a quarterback, like a Patrick Mahomes. I mean, it took him, it took, I think he went his year two 
until yeah. he really started like, okay, championship ready. But Lamar Jackson, same thing. It took him a year or so to get ready. But, you know, the Seahawks might think, hey, guys are getting traded left and right. We have a lot of times in the NFL, you have really one year to win, right? Because there's so many things that change. People come and go. COVID-19 happened. There's yeah. a lot of free agents that won't be there anymore. So the whole makeup of the team is different now. But what they're thinking, they're like, hey, these first rounders, I don't know if they'll be able to help us. We might not even have a season, but if we do, I know this guy's going to help us out with the culture of our team and kind of help us win some games. Yeah. So as somebody that's seen players come, obviously, into franchises that you've been in as well, does a first rounder come in with a different attitude to, I mean, obviously, because of expectations are higher, but do you find then that first rounders come in with more of that sense of, I need to take that leadership onus straight away than a, than a, third or fourth for instance you know the sixth and seventh guys know they're really hustling to try and get on a roster but you know a third or fourth round guy still got to back himself quite a lot to at least make a depth chart spot and then but a first rounder coming in will almost kind of presume i guess that they've got a good chance of starting in most places that attitude when you see them in camp different at all yeah most definitely i mean i think as a first rounder at the end of the day it's like a ranking system it's like okay you're the first rounder. We expect you to start and play and get things going. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, though, once training camp hits, first round to undrafted, it don't matter. Because, you know, for me personally, I've taken some people's jobs that were drafted, you know, pretty high or drafted before. And so, or to, you know, beat out uh, in, in drills, guys that are in first, that got drafted first round. So, um, you know, I do think once training camp hit, hits, it doesn't matter. But I do know that once the season hits, it's a little bit more pressure for the guys out in the first round. You know what I mean? There's a lot of expectation. Like, man, I'm the guy that's supposed to be leading this charge here, so I need to go put on for the team. And so um, my coach mentioned it like this. He said, if there's a layer, there's three levels, right? You want to find your way into that middle level because a lot of times the GMs and ownership are looking to change the top and the bottom, right? Um, if somebody that's getting paid a lot of money is not performing, oh, we got to get them out of there, right? Uh, like or if like Aaron Rodgers, they're working on that top piece right now where they drafted another quarterback. And if you're an un a bubble guy, you might go for somebody else. But if you can find your way in that middle, uh, that middle ground, um, I think you, you know you'll be safe. So um, yeah, a lot of first rounders have had that target on their heads. Yeah, I wouldn't like to be the guy walking into the most competitive and arguably physical place to go into and be like. If you went in as a first rounder with, like, especially out of somewhere like the SEC, with like a almost an arrogance of like, I'm going to walk in and try. I don't know how first round quarterbacks walk in and try and be leaders in an NFL locker room. It baffles yeah. me how you can try and talk to guys that have played perhaps for like six, seven years and try and tell them how to run the show or anything like that. That you're the new guy and it takes brass balls, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I think you think you just sit back and listen a lot of times, right? Um, you're there for a reason. So, you know, you don't know everything, but you do know a couple of things, right? So you, you, you're strong at a couple of things that you can do um, and just listen, right? And a lot of people will galvanize around you. So it's how you approach it. Todd Gurley, um, he's a super cool guy. And I think a lot of times, even for a first-round draft pick, you've been that guy pretty much your whole life. So you're kind of used to that. Uh, pressure and kind of what you have to get done there. So, um, you know, and I, I mentioned Todd Gurley because he's a guy that's super cool, man. Um, just very personable. Um, not really like that, hey, you know, get out of my face. He's really like, 
he'll, he'll communicate with his guys. Um, even now, we, we have a relationship where, hey, yo, Todd, are you, out, are you in California? Are you in Atlanta? He's like, nah, bro, I'm, at, I'm in the UK right now, right? He goes to Europe a lot. So, um, you know, he, he's real personable. And I think, yeah, he, he goes to the UK a couple of times. So, let's get him um, up, man. You know, I've got a really, really nice personable. place. We can, like, hang out and stuff. He like. can come to Wales and stay, uh, <laughs> stay here if he wants. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll, we'll get some, uh, some NFL UK connection going on, man. So, the guy can feel comfortable to pop in. Uh, and chat with you all but um you know just those guys being humble and be, be, you know being willing to learn i think that's really important yeah so with uh with all that though cam if you look at what Jameis winston did last year with his 30 touchdowns and 30 picks what was it like when you were against him and did you ever play against him in training actually and if you did did you feel kind of happy that he was throwing the ball mostly to the defense rather than his receivers <laughs> He's just oh, slamming. Well, no, I mean, I, I'm obviously you're going, to, you're going to kind of critique the technique rather than the player, but I'm just interested to see if it was if it was like that in practice or if it was just in the the games. Well, so in practice, in practice, there were there were interceptions, right? Just like as any quarterback would have. Um, and you know, last year he he skyrocketed in in touchdowns thrown, yards passed, and interceptions as well. So. Uh, you know, what I'm excited for is the fact that he got LASIK surgery. You know what I mean? When, <laughs> when I saw that he got LASIK surgery, I was like, man, I need it too. Because I can't be squinting if I'm on television or anything like that anymore. Um, so he got LASIK vision. So I'm, I'm excited to see what he's going to do. I mean, he's going to learn from uh, Drew Brees, one of the probably top 15, 20 quarterbacks, top 10 quarterbacks to ever do it. You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, he's going to get smarter there to probably cut down on his mistakes. Uh, he got his eyes fixed to cut down on his mistakes. So, man, I'm excited to see what he's going to do. But, yeah, like I said, th there were interceptions, that, and that's normal. Uh, so, you know, even with Jared Goff, you know, him coming in, I was at the Rams, you know, there were interceptions there too. Yeah, uh, yeah. I picked him off twice when I got there and I took it to the house. And they were like, hey, 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 uh, we need this route to work because we're going to put it in the game. So, take it easy, everybody. Take so, it easy yeah. on him. It happens. Yeah, it happens. Jam, <laughs> if how crazy would it be if Jameis Winston gets his eyes fixed and then becomes like the next Patrick Mahomes? Like all he's been missing is this is his better so, eyesight, <laughs> and he's gonna be amazing. Yeah, Steph Curry just got contacts. I think like two years ago or something like that. So it's like, okay, uh, Steph was a shooting lights out. You know what I mean? With with not eyes. You know what I mean? And not no contacts in. So. Imagine what he can do with contacts in. So uh, I'm excited for Jameis. I think it's going to take a little time. I'm excited for Teddy Bridgewater, too, to kind of see what he does. I think that's going to uh, set the template for, for Jameis to see, like, okay, Teddy learned from from Drew. This is what, you know, okay, this is what I, what I can do. So I'm excited for Jameis. I think he has a chance to, 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 to create something new. Cam, is, is Jameis even the – is he even the backup? at this point though with Taysom Hill there because they paid him quite a lot of money um as well I'm wondering kind of where Jameis sits on that depth chart or is Taysom Hill really just a you know more of a um, kind of, uh, yeah is he more of a Swiss army knife kind of player that they're going to throw in for you know special teams and for trick plays where, where do you think it stands Wow. I mean, Taysom Hill, he brings a lot to the game. So Sean Payton, uh, you know, I'm excited to kind of see how he continues to develop him. 
but Taysom Hill's one of the better players that I've went against, you know what I mean, playing special teams and stuff like that. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they had Drew Brees uh, dress out and then Jameis dress out and then Taysom, and then that third string quarterback, uh, they haven't, you know, Taysom after, he do, after he's done running his running back routes and receiver routes, come in and take some snaps, you know what I mean, right, right before pregame or even in practice. So, I think it'll be a one, two, three punch mm-hmm. um, and, and have special packages for Taysom. But if something happens to Drew Brees, especially, you know, with him getting a little bit older, um, I think they're, they're going to trust Jameis to really take things over and get things done for the organization. Um, this, you know, especially with the stuff that's been going on with the social injustices, like, you know, they're probably like thankful that they have a minority quarterback, a black quarterback behind um, Drew Brees to kind of push things forward because that that almost got really ugly and it did get ugly. Not almost, it did get ugly. So. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Yeah. Uh, Cam, I've got um, a couple just before uh, we fly because I know we're keeping you quite a while, man. So I do apologize. Uh, you're a very busy man with, with kind of... I don't know how many thing like fingers in pies that you've got, but there are there's a lot baking in terms of what you do now, like outside of everything. Um, in terms of Rams training against Goff, I just wanted to know on the lines of stuff if you changed defensive calls at all to east and west because he struggles with that a lot more than <laughs> left and right. Oh, <laughs> uh, Derek Goff, man. Um, you know he's somebody that. I was there, there with uh, for training camp when we moved from St. Louis to to LA. Mm. So I got to get to know him a little bit there, and then when I went back, uh, game twelve, I think it was in two thousand and seventeen. From then um, until the rest of the season, so I got to know him a little bit. But um, Jared, Jared, uh, he can make every throw, he can do everything, but a lot of things that move with Jared uh, is Sean McVay. Um, it's kind of like a video game where it's like, okay, Jared has the arm. He can do a lot of things, but Sean McVay instills that confidence in him. He's like, look, Jared, look off this safety over here to the left and pump him left and then throw the, throw the fade to the right to, to Robert Woods. You know what I mean? And, and Jared's like, okay. And he goes out and does it. So um, a lot of it is what Jared is. He is a great instructor, a great mentor. Um, and a lot of his success, I think he has to take his hat off to his coach and Sean McVay. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of something actually that you hear a lot, but it doesn't get like it's like, speculated obviously throughout the media the amount of contact that him and McVeigh have, but to kind of hear it broken down like that is kind of interesting. Um, in terms of uh, the NFL, obviously has its top one hundred thing going on. I'm just going to give you the final ten names in no particular order, and I want to I want you to tell me who is your number one off this list. So you've got Aaron Donald, Stephon Gilmore, Derek Henry, DeAndre Hopkins, Lamar Jackson, George Kittle. Christian McCaffrey, Patrick Mahomes, Michael Thomas, and Russell Wilson. The number one player in the NFL out of those 10. I mean, you said it, Aaron. You said it. Aaron Donald. It's hard to look past him. I, th- I, th- I think given the way that quarterbacks are not overvalued, but highly valued, I think there'll be Mahomes or Jackson will end up at the top of that list. But I totally agree. I think Donald is an absolute game wrecker. Yeah, yeah. Um, it'll be Patrick Mahomes at two. Um, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Shuga are going to be one that you can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. But uh, two, Patrick Mahomes. Three, maybe go Lamar Jackson. Um, four, um, I- I'll probably would have to give it number four, I think, from that list. Probably give it to Michael Thomas um, because, you know, I mean, he's killing it. He was killing it. So I think I'm going to give him that, that credit. But um, Aaron Donald, he's just a different animal, man. I mean, you know, 
Pat Mahomes did a great job. Of course, he won the Super Bowl. So if they do give him number one, that's fine. Uh, but Aaron Donald, he's so close to the ball and he affects the game. Like when it comes to offensive alignment, it, it'll be the worst game of their of their careers when they play Aaron Donald every time. Every time. So uh, I think Patrick Mahomes more so makes the coordinator sweat um, for, for defenses. Defenses are like, hey, let's do the best we can to contain this, pull up the receivers and whatnot, and stop them the best you can. But for Aaron Donald, he probably destroys careers, man, because you can't block him. <laughs> you just can't block <laughs> do you, him. So. Cam, do you, do you see him as better than J.J. Watt when he was in his prime? Or are they – you know, on a very similar pegging for you? Man, Aaron Donald is out of this world. <laughs> Aaron Donald is out of this world. He's a walking Hall of Famer, to be honest. Um, you know, J.J. Watts is doing a great job off the field. Uh, that, that's one thing for him is, like, that's what's going to push him uh, a little bit further maybe than Aaron, unless Aaron does something awesome off the field too. But J.J. Watt, you know, a lot of things for the floods out in, in, in Texas that yeah. happened. He's doing, he raised a lot of money, so I think that that is going to push him far. But for Aaron Donald, strictly football, man, I don't know. I don't see many two people like him, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, he routinely beats double teams. So I feel <laughs> sorry for the two that have to try and block him because even they can't do it. They can't do it. They can't do it. Even in practice, man, like the coach, offensive coach would tell him, like, hey, just block the air like – somebody is there so down said <laughs> Aaron would fly by they just like okay I'm just gonna block this or work my way up but it, it's it's like that you know what I mean and I haven't yeah. heard anybody else do anything like it so and I might be a little biased because I play with Aaron so uh, uh but he he's a different animal yeah yeah Jared just uh you wear a red shirt for a real reason right because otherwise Aaron's gonna mess you up every single (laughs) practice don't worry about it ignore what he does that's not gonna happen every single play it's fine like you'll you'll be safe these guys will protect you still don't worry (laughs) um Cam man really appreciate the time um let us know where we can uh where we can find your stuff as well because I know obviously uh you do the energy captains podcast with Whitney Holtzman who we're hoping to get on hopefully Next week, I think, uh, I've asked if she's available because we want to chat with her, of course, about everything she does with yourself and Brandon Copeland and obviously put us in uh, in connection with with both of you, uh, which we really appreciate. But uh, you've you've got a lot going on. You were doing uh, XFL co-coms as well at one point, which I'm gutted for you that the XFL kind of didn't happen. And I think everybody's a little bit gutted that we don't have summer football, although kind of understandably wise. Now, let us, let us know where we can find all your stuff, man. Yeah, uh, Cameron Lynch 50 on Twitter and on Instagram. You can find me there. Uh, and then hard, hard work underscore media on Instagram where you can look at look at my stuff for my, for my business, my media company, hardworkmedia.com. So, uh, yeah, man, I have a few things cooking up uh, just on the media side because athletes need to figure out how to get out there and share their voice, man. And I want to be an advocate for that to, to lift guys up and let them share their story. So, um, that's really what, what I'm about, man. And I, I really appreciate you all taking the time to really connect, have a discussion and talk some sport. Well, thank you as well, Cam. It's been great to chat. Really good to chat. Yeah, man. Yeah, wicked. Honestly, at the moment, any time. Like, I've got a lot of time. So <laughs> <laughs> any time yeah. is good right now, man. I'll, uh, you know, we can we can chat to uh, to anybody who wants to have their voice lifted up as well. Don't worry about that. We'll get them on and we'll fire out
Big thanks to Cameron Lynch for joining us on the show this week. You can follow him on Instagram and on Twitter, Cameron Lynch 50. That's Cameron Lynch 50. You can follow us on Instagram, UK underscore pick underscore six underscore podcast. That's UK underscore pick underscore six underscore podcast and you can even follow us on twitter as well that's uk pick six pod at uk pick six pod i'm o underscore j underscore wilson on twitter and instagram jazz is jazz gillam on twitter and instagram and dave is david block one on twitter and david block on instagram until next week take care enjoy what sports there are of course the nba starting this week that's great the mlb still just about going even though everything that's going on with the marlins and uh, champions league football is just around the corner as well the nfl we still don't know 100 percent, but players are in training camp and hopefully that's a good sign that things will go as normal as they can do this season take care